I sure do. Who the hell would give these three goons their own show? Welcome to Puck Puck Pass, a belly up sports podcast committed to keeping you informed on the latest news and trends in hockey. So pick up your teeth, grab a brew, and don't be a hoser. Here are your hosts, whose names sound like something I'd call my dog, Zach Mack, Yake, and KJ. What is up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Puck Puck Pass. As always, I'm KJ, joined by Zach Mack. How are you doing today, bud? Doing just swell, man. How you doing? I'm good. I'm glad we're getting this recording out of the way earlier in the week, as opposed to waiting until last minute like we normally do. Uh, and it, it benefits us because I know you're excited that you get to watch hockey during the week because you're like the strangest dude I've ever met. So I know that's your big thing is watching during the week. So I'm sure you're in a good mood. Oh, yeah. Ecstatic, man. You know me. I love the week done. <laughs> uh, we've got a, a bunch of stuff to cover. It's been a really entertaining second round, and that's where I want to start. Uh, we'll dive into the uh, the game that's actually about to start as we record uh, Boston versus Columbus. Columbus is up 2-1 in that series. Like I said, game four is tonight. Uh, there's a lot of storylines with this series so far. And the, the thing that jumps out to me the most, and I'm sure you probably had it on your list too, is just Columbus's perseverance. I think that's been the biggest X factor so far through three games in this series. Yeah, I mean... So worst case scenario for me for this postseason, as far as I'm concerned, is Boston making it through the second round. Um, I needed him to get through the first because Leafs fans are just louder than Boston's fans are. Um, <laughs> so I was content with settling for the shiniest of two turns for that series. But now um, I'm happy with where the series is at. Um, like you said, huge game tonight. Three um, one is going to be a huge difference from two to two um, with how that series is going to go. But, uh, yeah, we mentioned it last week. You know, the, the first game was coming off of, uh, I think it was like nine days rest for Columbus, um, and they were still able to push it to OT. And the fact that they've come back and won the next two, um, I, I I think to the naked eye, this seems like an even series right now, but I think deep down Columbus has got the momentum. Yeah, Columbus is one of those weird teams, and it's it's a dangerous mindset to have. But they do play better when they're working to tie the game up or take the lead by one. Uh, you'll remember more so in games two and three, I believe it was, or two and four. Uh, Columbus, once they got the lead against Tampa, Tampa was always kind of pushing back at the end and, and making it closer than it really was. So I I don't think Columbus is obviously giving up any goals that they normally wouldn't or anything. But I think that that group is definitely playing better down 0-1 or tied 1-1 and working on just that game-winning goal. I think three one or or more for them is almost is almost just as dangerous as being down like oh one oh two when they're working that hard. Yeah, yeah, I would agree. And I, you know that speaks to the perseverance I was talking about. The other, I mean, playing right into that though, is Boston doing the same thing every game, which is starting? You know, they're to use the hockey term, starting on time, but they're really not finishing any period. You know, whether it's one, two, or three, and, and maybe maybe you disagree, but I think we're on the same page where Boston hasn't finished a period strong, but maybe one time this series. Yeah, I get that. Um, it hasn't uh, – I don't think it stood out to me, but I think you're right now that you say it, that they don't really feel like they've got a momentum going into any period or coming out of any period. Um, I, it just seems to me like – Columbus is hungrier. I, it just doesn't seem like Boston's hungry enough for this series to me. I don't. 
They it, and yeah, I, I'm I wasn't sure if it, they were tired or it was you know a, a battle of wills type thing that you referred to. I just think a lot of things are playing into Columbus's favor, and fatigue is probably one of the the bigger things. Yeah. The other part of it to me too, and this has been probably just as glaring uh, problem for Boston and benefit for Columbus is is not only is Sergei Bobrovsky playing above what he normally does in the playoffs. I mean, and we've we've literally never seen him in a second round game. And through three, he's looked really good. But he's playing so much better than Rask. I think they're kind of double dipping into the confidence killer for for Boston. I think Boston sees their goalie struggle from time to time and a goalie on the other side uh, that has been lights out for this entire postseason. Yeah, I saw something today that it was like it was Bobrovsky's numbers even going back like a couple weeks into the regular season. Uh, and he's just been playing strong consistently. And I think when he didn't start the season off the way that we thought he was going to, we all kind of wrote him off. But um, like you said, he's obviously – he's standing strong now. Much I I would say probably – I mean, easily the strongest goalie in the East. I would put him above Rask um, that's left. But in the entire playoffs, I, th- I think he might be playing – yeah. The best. I'm trying to think. I mean, there's I mean, always maybe... Bennington because of yeah. what he's been doing. Um, I think last night, as we record it, as we record this, uh, last night Dallas kind of took it to St. Louis a little bit, and you know we'll talk about that series later because we've got a couple bigger issues to discuss with that. But Bennington is is really the other guy, and Ben Bishop for I want to say like 95 percent of these playoffs has been awesome. But game three against St. Louis, uh, you, you could definitely see a major chink in the armor there. With Bobrovsky, I don't think you've really seen it at all through seven games of his postseason. Right, yeah. So the <clears throat> the last thing with the series that, that I wanted to touch on, and we don't have to go too far into it because if anyone follows us on Twitter, they've seen us kind of go at it with other people about this. But we have to talk about Brad Marchand doing what he did. I'll just I'll say my piece real quick because you actually brought up two good points on Twitter, so I'll let you get to those. This is a suspension in the regular season, not based on the act itself, but the act itself would get him a hearing, no question, in a regular season game. And once you get that hearing, then everything started, you know, they start to take account for everything, um, all the outlying factors, one of those being Marshan's huge track record. So I do think this gets him suspended for at least one game in the regular season. Not enough to really uh, merit, you know, such a hearing in the postseason. But that's, you know, it's a it's a dirty play. I'm not heartbroken he didn't get suspended. But you really hate to see it from a guy who said he was going to clean his act up. Yeah, I don't. I mean, I'm not – it's not a huge deal. Like, I don't think, you know, I'm – like you, you said, you said it best. I'm not heartbroken that he's not suspended. You know, I'm not calling for his head or anything like that. And I really wasn't like, I, I just don't like that he goes away unscathed. Um, I get that there should have been a penalty and it was missed, but I think you've got to at least, I mean, at the very least, find him. Even if like to the, I mean, I guess it really depends on the fine. But I, I just don't like that. There's two things I don't like about it. One, it's not defensible. Um. And then he just skates away. So it's like, it's not even like a fight where a guy has a chance to throw a punch back at you or 
It's nothing coming from the front where a guy has a chance to defend himself. <clears throat> and I get that he, he didn't, like, wind up or anything like that. But, I mean, it's still it's still to the head, and it's still something you can't take lightly. And I don't think that – especially – like, and, I, and I'm, not, I'm not even putting the Brad Marchand, Marchand name on it. Once you do that, I think it just – I just don't like it. I don't think it looks good. Yeah, and you're right. When you put Marshan's name over top of it, it gets cloudier than it would for, you know, a Brandon Carlo or a, a Dubinsky or even Panarin, like another star who does something like that. It gets cloudier with Brad Marshan's name attached to it. Um, moving on from that series, are you still on Columbus? You think they're going to eventually close out this series? Yeah, I, I, I'm not changing off of it quite yet. Yeah, I, I'm with you on that as well. I If if Marshan, talking about what we were just talking about, if his mentality starts to deteriorate, I actually think this is probably over in five. I think Columbus just jumps on a downtrodden Boston team, especially if they go up 3-1 tonight. And I think they just put Boston out of their misery because they really, they learned in the first round that they have the ability not to take their foot off the gas, and there's absolutely no reason for them, you know, not to keep burying a team that they've got, you know, on the brink of elimination, basically. Yeah, yeah. I, I think if Boston's top three doesn't turn it on and, and Columbus goes up 3-1 in the series, it's over. It, yeah. And speaking of on the brink of elimination, a team that is actually on – the brink of elimination, the New York Islanders, surprisingly down 3-0 in this series. I picked Carolina to win it. I didn't think it'd be this dominant. And they haven't looked like the dominant team every minute of the series. I actually think the Islanders played better the first two periods last night. But the Islanders find themselves down 3-0. It is in large part because Carolina is dominating them. But for you, what's the biggest thing that changed for the Islanders from the first round to this round? Yeah, see, I don't, I don't like the way the series is going at all. Um, I couldn't really tell you why. It's, I would probably say because I claimed that I was sold on the Barry Trotz Islanders, um, and then they went ahead and did me just completely dirty, and they haven't won a game. I think they've they've won one of the ten periods they've played since I said that. Um, so, but. I also I had because I had a conversation with my dad about this series before um, before it started, and I was like I'm and it was during Game Seven of the Capitals Hurricanes game the Caps were up two nothing, and he was like I think I'm gonna pull off Islanders in round two and I was like I'm with you unless the Hurricanes can come back in this game then I'll pull for the Canes, and so that's why I'm kind of confused on the series I don't really know but. Uh, I don't like that it's on the verge of a sweep. I don't want. I don't like seeing sweeps past the first round. If I'm being honest with you, um, that's probably me just being selfish and wanting to watch more hockey. If, and you're you're right. It it isn't always the best to see a sweep in the second round. But I will say this isn't as deterring as maybe two real two. Cinderella teams or two superstar teams or superstar laden teams sweeping one another. It's a wild card team and a second place team. So it is kind of a re- a repeat of not to the extreme of the Blue Jackets sweeping the Lightning, but it is one of those teams that just got hot at the right time in all season. Ryan Lambert at Yahoo actually brought this up all season. The Islanders have been a good a team with really good analytics in a, a hot goaltender. That's what they've been all season. And as soon as they run into a team that 
is basically a carbon copy of that, you see how much they start to struggle. And what has to be yeah. killer for them, especially going into game four, is watching Curtis McElhaney take over for uh, in the injured Peter Mrazek and not miss a beat and, and play yeah. just as well. That's got to be eating away at the Islanders. Yeah, I, I would agree. I, that, that's Because I watched that game, and to be honest with you, I didn't even know that uh, somehow I had missed that Mrazek wasn't going to be playing, that he was injured. Um, and I, I thought that was going to be the biggest story, is that, that they got this Mac. I mean, Mrazek's a borderline backup as it is anyways. So you've got this backup to the backup coming in, and like you said, it's just like nothing changed. Boom, up 3 nothing. Yeah, it's... it's and it's not the only injury that's really it, – it's not even close to the only injury that's affecting the Hurricanes. And they're really showing this this level of depth that you don't normally see out of a, te- a wildcard team especially. Like normally they get in because, you know, they have a superstar top line kind of like the Avalanche on the other side. But the Canes are showing they got in because they're, they're 20 people deep and all 20 are going to be showing their stuff. And apparently 21 and 22, these two goaltenders that have really stepped it up and played to a level that we really thought we'd see from the Islanders. Uh, it's It's been cool. It's been inspiring. And I love seeing a bunch of jerks doing what they're doing in, in spite of all the criticism they took earlier in the season. Yeah. What, I mean, what a job by Rob Brindamore. I mean, no, you, if you would have said Rob Brindamore would coach this team to the Eastern Conference Finals two months ago, I would have... Yeah, Yeah, it's weird to say because more often than not, the former player, former star player turned coach doesn't always work out or not even coach GM, you know, all sorts of stuff. You've seen it with Rob Blake in L.A., Joe Sackick. It took a couple years in Colorado, but he's finally turned it around. Uh, And Steve Eisenman was kind of an immediate success. So it really does vary uh, who does what in any given situation. And. I think it's a combination of Brendan Moore coming into an awesome situation, which he definitely did, um, but also a skilled group of guys who are just – there's no communication gap. They're just ready to listen to what Brendan Moore says, and it's gotten them this far, and it's it's a lot of fun. They're a lot of fun to watch, whether you hate the antics or not. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If the, Also, if this series can get to seven games, I'm on – I'm ready for that. I'm ready for that journey. Yeah, that'd be – It'd be exciting because it seems so unlikely, but who knows? I mean, crazier things have happened, and on paper, the Islanders are probably the better team, and you would never have expected a sweep, so who are we to say that, you know, the Islanders making a three-game push, while unlikely, isn't impossible? Yeah. Does, Does the transformation of how these goalies... Let's look at Mrazek and McElhaney, who we were talking about, and Laner and, and Thomas Grice for the Islanders. And we haven't seen Grice yet. And I don't know if it's worth making a goalie change at this point, but I saw today that the most games in a row that uh, Laner had started all season was four because they did run that platoon style. So now he started the last seven games in a row. Who knows how that's affecting him? But these are two teams with less than superstar potential goaltenders. Are we going to see less of the carry price type contracts going out and teams maybe looking for a goaltender that can just survive behind a good defense? Is that the, is that the future of the way teams are going to be built? 
I think it's very possible, especially if they're going to keep doing this platoon style. I don't, I guess what, are they just doing like platoon style during the season? I didn't really read into yeah, as so far they, as why Grice hasn't played in the postseason. They they stuck with the, the who in their minds was the better goaltender. And when we're talking about this style of goaltender, I'll go from Mrazic and McElhaney all the way up to Kudobin and Bishop. Because they, Bishop played the majority of the games. But I would say Kudobin, due to injury a little bit too, played more than your average backup. And it worked out. And Ben Bishop had the best full season save percentage in uh, uh, goals against average. So uh, that's why I think it could be going that way. Yeah, that's – yeah. If, if you're going – I mean, I don't know how long goalies or what sort of adjustments goalies are going to make because it doesn't seem like – it would be too thrilling to sign up to be a half of a regular season goalie and then just lose your, your job in the, in the postseason. Like, cause I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't think Grice played poorly whatsoever this season. No, I mean, combined, they won the, uh, I want to say Masterton for least or best goals against average or least goals allowed throughout the season. And, you know, you have to do that combined because obviously Laner is not playing 76 games out of the year. Right. So it just seems like to me to play on your head like that all season and then not even get a postseason start is a drag. Yeah, I think it's I think it's a, a decision that I mean, remember that Trotz is the guy who started Grubauer for game one and two of the postseason last year and then realized not only were they down 0-2 while they were close games, it was a really stupid decision to not go with Braden Holby from the start. Granted, they ended up winning the cup, so I don't think he's kicking himself over it. But he set that precedent to where if he wants to go into game four with Grice, he's made that decision in the past and it's paid off. So I don't think the team could be too discouraged by seeing another goaltender in that. Yeah, I'd, I wouldn't be against it. I mean, it seems tough now being down to your like last game, uh, brink of elimination. Uh, but I also, yeah, I wouldn't I wouldn't hate it. I wouldn't be against it. I, I, yeah, it it is tough because you see, I mean, the Canadians can't really build that much because they have this huge contract owed to Carey Price. Teams in the past, I mean, Lundqvist took a big contract, but he didn't really handcuff the team for that long. Guys like Jonathan Quick and maybe Ben Bishop in the future if, if he's kind of found a career resurgence. But I think we're going to see more and more of, even if it's not, you know, a 60-40 split amongst goaltenders, as far as a platoon style, I think we'll see the less expensive goaltender take a team further. Similar to the NFL, where we're right now we're seeing less or quarterbacks that aren't paid as much as the superstars, like Jared Goff taking the Rams to the Super Bowl, still on his rookie contract. So teams know they don't have to pay a guy a hundred million to get them pretty far. And I think it's going to be the same for goaltenders in, in the near future, at least. Yeah, I think you're absolutely onto something. I would agree. I think the those big contracts are going to go. I actually I like it. I think it gives us a chance to see more guys that we wouldn't normally see. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, from goaltender issue onto a, a goaltender issue that hasn't really even shown itself yet in San Jose. Uh, San Jose is up two one over Colorado in that series. Game four also tonight. And I have to admit, San Jose has looked a bit overwhelming uh, to Colorado. It- <laughs> 
Yeah, it's funny you say that because I was gonna I was gonna open with I don't think you're gonna like my two cents, but it seems like it's all San Jose from here on out if Martin Jones can stay solid. Yeah, and I'm not counting on that, and I'm not ready to give this series to the Sharks, um, mainly because of Martin Jones, and I'm not ready to admit that he's transformed himself from even Game Four or Game Three, whatever game he looked terrible in against Vegas, which was really their first three losses of the series. Um, yeah, but he has looked a lot better and he's, he's played good enough to win the series, but with a young team, like, like Colorado that can find depth in a hurry, at least they've shown that this postseason, it's you, you can't count them out until they're down two in the third period of, you know, an elimination game. They, they really can turn it out at any point. And all, I understand the opinion that it is all sharks for the rest of the series, but I'm not there yet knowing this, this avalanche team. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm, I see where you're coming from. Absolutely. And we mentioned that the Columbus Boston game was huge tonight. This game is absolutely huge as well. Um, Obviously if San Jose goes up three, one, I, I think if San Jose goes up three, one and they take it back to to San Jose, I don't think there's a chance to have avalanche can win that game. Um, Unless it's two, two. I mean, if it goes two, two tonight, I think the avalanche can win back in San Jose. But I think this is an absolute must win for Colorado. Yeah, this game especially, uh, I'd be a lot, I'd be a lot less worried about them going down three two after Game Five in San Jose, because the Pepsi Center does get so loud. Yes, they lost Game Three in Colorado, but that doesn't mean they're going to lose every game in Colorado for this series. If they win tonight, right? I have no doubts that this will probably go seven. Yeah, if I mean if Colorado wins tonight, it's it's anyone's series. I'd be willing to give up very quickly that it's it's all San Jose. I would give that notion up right away if Colorado wins tonight. Now, I think. kind of talking to this being a must-win game for the Avalanche, to me, they looked a little desperate in Game 3. Did you see that too, or was I just kind of looking into the fact that, oh, God, the Sharks are going to go up 2-1 with a chance, a decent chance to go up 3-1? Did the Avs look desperate, or was I making more of it than it was? I... uh. I don't. I wouldn't have said desperate. I I just thought they looked overmatched. Um, they almost look outmatured. Like they look immature yeah. next to the sharks, and that's not a sharks are old joke. That's just literally. I think the sharks kind of know. They kind of kicked it in the gear. We're like, all right. I mean, look at this team. This is a really talented team with a microcosm of the amount of success that we've had over the past decade. And they were able to turn yeah. it on. Yeah, and it it just seemed like because like really, I, I mean, you saw McKinnon's goal. God. Um, obviously, I don't want to take any, anything away from that. That was a phenomenal shot. I don't think it, oh, there's a goalie in the land that can stop that. But they get this goal because Brent Burns, who is playing a hundred minutes a game, makes a lazy pass down the middle, and it's a fast break for your best player on your team, and and that's. Seems to me like the only way Colorado can score, which is a huge problem. Yeah, it does. I mean, you watch the way the Avalanche really get their goals. And yes, they can play as offense in the zone. They can move the puck well, but they do counterattack really well. And sometimes it's not even a counterattack. It is a lucky bounce. Uh, and I totally agree with that point. But I will say, similar to what we were saying with Boston, Colorado played or San Jose played four really four games in a row for their life 
in the first round and they played really hard in game one. It faded away in game two. They played lights out in game three. And I think we're going to see in game four, how much they had left in the tank, because if I'm being completely honest, Zach, and I'm not saying this because I obviously had a ton of ill will geared towards the sharks. I don't think there's enough in the tank for a team this old. And for a team that's played this much hockey over the past three, four years with a lot of the same guys, the same lines, I don't see how they go another, if this goes seven, they're going to be dead. Yeah, no, that's an extremely good point. Um, And I would be super inclined to agree with you. Um, Their saving grace might be if they can win this series and Dallas and St. Louis go to game seven, they, you know, that they could just run into that little bit of luck where they're, they are old and they ran into another opponent that had to play a lot of games. I think you're very right. That's, that is going to be a huge factor. For yeah. Them. And and let's jump right into that, that last series. Then uh, you mentioned it, Dallas, St. Louis, it's, it's two, two. Now this reeks of game seven That's I mean, this is almost a guaranteed game, a seven game series. And they've all been close. Even if, even if it's a two, three goal separation at, at the final buzzer, They've been very close, highly contested games. Yes, what what a series. I love this series. I want to make love to, to this series. I mean, these aren't like great teams by any means, but they're evenly matched teams, and that's all you need for a series. Um, it seems like every game is separated from the series itself. Um, it doesn't seem like there's carryover from one game to another as far as momentum. Yet guys are playing chippy. Like there is carryover from game to game. I would love this to be a 19 game series if I'm being honest. So you, you mentioned not a lot of carryover from game to game. And I want to touch on that because I have written down that Dallas won game four convincingly. And I know I said, this is going game seven, but they won in in the fashion that usually gets you another win. And I'm not saying they win game five, they automatically win game six because it's back in Dallas. But I do like them in game five to win back-to-back games for the first time in this series, uh, that either team's done that, because they they did look like they figured something out and they had that look in their eyes of, let's let let's continue to let St. Louis think that this is going to go game by game, and then they're going to st- they're going to be able to start hot in game five. I-, I think they found something in that St. Louis game plan that they can exploit. Yeah, I mean, you might that you might be right, that and might, that's a total shot in the dark. I have I don't have any actual evidence. I, that's just the eye test. <laughs> well, I was going to say, I mean, that's one step ahead of me because I don't. I mean, I I would agree with you that that game made me feel the same way um, that. Dallas might have a hold on this series, but I would also be inclined to think that this series is going to throw that out the window and like you could see St. Louis up 2 nothing after one, one yeah. period. I just, I literally have written down for this series. I have no idea how this now three-game series is going to go. I have no, and, and I don't either, and I don't know how you could with the way these teams have played, and that's a compliment to both teams. I will say, coming out of last night's game, other than the convincing style that I, I said they had, uh, last night was the first time that Jim Montgomery, who we were talking about Brindamore doing what he did. Jim Montgomery deserves a mm-hmm. ton of credit. And I think Absolutely. I said that last week, but I can't stress that enough. What he did last night, and I should have written it down because I'm now drawing a blank, but I, he moved around the line. So the top line was Sagan, Zuccarello, and Dickinson. And the second line was Radulov, Ben, and... 
Oh, I'm totally drawing a blank. Hints, Rupa Hints, I think it was. Heinz, however you pronounce his name. Uh, he's a rookie. Um, he's actually someone I mentioned in the Dallas Stars article from last week. They moved those ra- lines around, and I don't think St. Louis was ready to have to defend something different right away. And they could be ready in Game 5, but I think that kind of goes to, you know, oh, no, did did the Stars find a line that they were kind of looking for all season? Because they never really had the offensive outburst that we were expecting all season. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. So, <clears throat> coaching aside, because Barube's obviously done a great job. He's up for the Jack Adams. The 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 team that adjusts better in the second period of game six or seven, depending on, I mean, thinking about how it goes seven is obviously what we all want. But if, if whoever is up three, two in game six, if they can find a way to get, get over that hump in the second period, I think that's going to be the most important period of this entire series. It'll really decide who was able to figure out the other team fully, not for one period, not for, you know, the final five minutes and, you know, they're shutting the offense down. They really have to find that one thing that's going to beat the other team because yes, Dallas's offense looked the best it's looked in the playoffs so far last night. They still don't have the one thing that can beat St. Louis. And this is the only series that I really feel that. No. Yeah. I think that's a good point. I'm, I'm taking notes here because game six is probably going to fall on the weekend. Oh yeah. Maybe you won't watch it. Well, I'll tell you about it. <laughs> and uh, maybe I'll go. Maybe I'll go on Instagram Live or something and, and give you a sneak peek. Um, so the second round, you know, as we just talked about, a ton of storylines. It's been a ton of fun, and hopefully, I'm feeling better for the rest of the second round because this is killing me. I can hear myself. I apologize to you guys. I wish I felt better for this, but we are going to have some fun here. Um, I I asked Zach if he wanted to do this. He was totally on board. We're going to do a fantasy draft of players from the remaining eight teams and try to put together, you know, we'll ask you guys when we're done, which, which way you're, you're leaning towards. And Zach's going to have the first pick. And basically, I don't know how you did yours, but I did a center, two wingers, two defensemen and a goalie. I didn't care much for left wing, right wing. I'm just going to put together a powerhouse team. Uh, But you're going to get the first pick. So from any of the eight remaining teams, your number one pick. Yeah, so I've been on. We I've known about this for at least I, I don't know. Well, we brought this probably forty eight hours. So I've been on the clock for forty eight hours. Um, I'm gonna pick Nathan McKinnon. All right, and um, I'm sure I, it comes as no surprise that was also my number one pick. Why Nathan McKinnon? Uh, I just I, he stands out to me the most in today's game of hockey. I think you could honestly you could throw um a bunch of all stars on the ice and you still know which one is Nathan McKinnon. Um. This the energy he plays with, uh, I I think. No, I'm not. I'm gonna. I'm gonna. T- I'm gonna keep some takes to myself. Um, Nathan, <laughs> I just think Nathan McKinnon is the best available player, and that's why I'm gonna pick him. That's true, and and for me, it's McKinnon is one of those guys on the ice where he's in that group of three where I think McDavid, Crosby, and McKinnon are three guys more than anyone you know when they're on the ice. Yeah, absolutely. Um. All right. Well, that's was my number one pick, but I do have Slash, and I'm going to get destroyed for this pick, but I'm going with Jacob Slavin, defenseman Carolina. He's been very good offensively and has really, really played 
better than average. He hasn't played perfect defense, but he's been great. And he's one of those guys you can definitely tell when he's been on the ice in this New York Islanders series. He's been one of the two best defensemen on the ice at all times for either team. We're going with Jacob Slavin. No, absolutely. I uh, I don't have much to add to that because you pretty much said everything I would have said. He was number one on my defensive big board, so um, hats off to you on that pick. I did not see you stealing that one, to be honest. <laughs> so, number two. I have a feeling I know who this one is, too, but go ahead. Your number two overall pick. Um, My number two pick is going to be – I'll fill – for my defensive spot uh i'm gonna pick brent burns okay so also in my round two board uh i like that a lot and obviously if i had gotten mckinnon i would have gone burns second round as well what what about brent burns other than the obvious big body leadership gets a lot of shots on net is there anything else that really sticks out to you about him especially in this series and maybe the end of, of the last series yeah, I mean, I, he might be on the verge of burning out soon. I, I mean, that's yet to be seen. But the the amount of minutes he's able to log and still um, still compete at the level he competes, I think is should at at the very least be admirable, admirable if um, if not respectable. Um, I, I there's it. I slammed his decision making on Twitter the other day. Um, I, I realize he's tired, and at some time at points he makes decisions as a defense defensive defenseman because i know he's very offensive minded he's a forward a that plays a defense still, yeah yeah but he's still got to be a defenseman at times and i think he lacks some decision making there but uh not enough to fall for me that's that's fair and for for me all those things and more for why i would have taken him second but because you got him i'm gonna go with your number one picks line mate i'm gonna go with miko rantanen for basically all the same reasons you took McKinnon. He's been lights out. He's great to have on that top line. And whether it's speed, a little bit of physicality, or just kind of being a magician, you know, down low with the puck, he can kind of do it all, and he does it all really well, especially on the power play. So he's a no-brainer uh, with the number two pick. Okay, yep. Um, he was he was number – he was my fifth-ranked forward on my board. Um Obviously, a great player. Everything you said, yeah, really um, sounds like you're high on him. <laughs> I I just would not have. I had McKinnon higher. Um, I knew I was picking McKinnon one overall, yeah. and I wasn't gonna. Pick you must have gone to the New York Giants draft reaction boot camp. Yeah, <laughs> tough, tough weekend for uh, any of our Ranger fan listeners who are also Giants fans, or any of the New York teams. Uh, our condolences. I know it's been tough for you recently. Yeah. I feel for you. Honestly, I really do like that. I'm not being fake. I <laughs> Moving to the third round uh, where so many diamonds are found among the rough. Who are you going with your third overall pick? So uh, do we have to fill – is it is it a center and two forwards or can I put centers at the wing? I mean, you can put centers at the wing if you want to break the rules midway through. That's fine. Okay. Okay. Um, I'm going to pick Logan Couture then. Uh, yeah, that that seems about right. I hate him enough to to grant you a third round pick status. It he's he's been great. I just if it wasn't for his emotion, Vegas would still be playing, and I'll never not be salty about that. But why why Logan Couture? Yeah, uh, his his ability in the postseason, I think, is I saw something the other day. Is, since I can't remember what year it is, but Ovechkin's got fifty some. It might have been fifty on the dot. 
playoff goals and Logan Couture is second behind him in that span. Um, so I, the guy just plays well when it counts. Um, obviously, again, playing well this year. Uh, just had a hat trick the other night. So um, I'm, there's just real – there's nothing about this guy. And I, to be honest with you, me and my brother – um, shout out to my brother if he's listening. We were both huge fans of Couture when he broke into the league, and we weren't even Sharks fans back then. So um, I've I've had my eye on this guy for quite a bit. I, there's just there's nothing that I don't like about him, really. Yeah, and that I mean that makes sense because he's not even on my draft board. So we're on the same page with everything else we've said. Um, I'm gonna go. <laughs> I'm gonna reach deep into the barrel because I think he's the Con Smythe leader right now. My third overall pick, I'm going to go Sergei Bavrovsky, goalie, Columbus Blue Jackets. I think it's I think it's the perfect time to take a goalie, especially if you're going to go for the best one. And like we said earlier, there's no doubt to me that he's been the best goaltender so far in these playoffs. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, he was top of my and list as well. I just was obviously I didn't grab him quick enough. You you put yourself in a position too, where Bavrovsky leaves you with maybe enough opportunity to build up your defenseman and just make sure you have a forward that can create two goals. He doesn't have to score two goals. He can assist on two, but if he's got enough ability to create high dangerous chances or high danger chances, Bobrovsky gives you the most opportunity to do that with one or two guys instead of absolutely without a doubt needing six top forwards. Yeah. I think he does that really well. Uh, Moving on to the fourth round. I only have one person listed here because I thought my everyone else would be gone and I this would be a gift. But who are you going with the fourth round? Um, I am. I'll pick my goalie. Um, I will take Jordan Bennington. Jordan Bennington. I'm not surprised uh, with that pick. He has been awesome. I just wasn't sure if you'd double down and and keep with your Bennington love. Not there's not that there's anything wrong with with your judgment of Bennington. I just wasn't sure if you're going to put all that pressure on him. Yeah, no, I was, I had, it, it was a toss-up between him and Laner, um, if Bobrovsky was going to be taken. Uh, so, so no uh, Ben Bishop at all. I, I know I'm beating, I'm beating a dead horse with this. I keep bringing up Bishop, but why? If I did, if you took Bob first, I'm taking Bishop, and there's no second place. There's no third place. No, yeah, I know, I know you like Ben Bishop. I'm not a big Ben Bishop guy. Um, I, I think that. I, I don't know. I don't really have anything. There's nothing wrong with his game. I, I just. I, I think you hate Americans. That's what it is. You hate Americans <laughs> and, and you're, you're looking for every excuse not to pick one. No, I, I get what you're saying. No. I, yeah. I just, I like the, I don't know if I'm going to make this, if I'm going to make this, this line, this line full of all-stars left in the second round. I want Bennington in the moment over Bishop, I, I think. Yeah, I mean, he's had to be in the moment since he came up. I mean, I don't I don't know if you guys have heard, and maybe the listeners need to hear this for the first time. The, the Blues were in last place January 3rd. I'm not sure if anybody else has left who doesn't know that, <laughs> but if NBC says it one more time, I'm going to lose yeah. my shit. We're 10 <laughs> games into or 15 games or whatever, how many they've played. And we hear at the beginning of every period and in the middle of every intermission. It's nonstop. It's impressive, but good Lord. Anyway, so yeah, I hate the blues. (laughs) (laughs) So, I'm sorry. Remind me of your – you took uh, Bennington. That's right. My fourth round pick. So, I had these two guys listed as 
I, I listed them in the third round first, but then I wrote Bob and circled it. It's between two kind of the same player. I'm going to go with Artemi Panarin. He's been so good, dude. He's been so good for the Columbus Blue Jackets, especially in this series. I like that pick. I he was I did a top 10 forwards, and I was really debating hard on whether I was going to put him like seventh on my list or not at all on my list. I, for some, there was no in between for some reason, but I really do like that pick. I I just think he's been he's been clutch and he is one of those guys. Granted, I'm also working with Miko Rantanen, but Panarin's one of those guys who can create something out of nothing. And I've always referred to him as Russian Patrick Kane. I think I've done it on the podcast before, but he really is. He's a guy that can create so much out of nothing for himself or his teammates. And I, I think he'd be a great guy, especially if I get the center I want. So your fifth round pick. Uh, I will take. Oh, do I want to finish my defense or my forward? I will take Justin Falk. Oh, I like it. From Carolina. I like um, it a lot. Quiet leader. Yeah, I had I had Slavin number one D, but I had Falk third. Uh, I like the way he's been playing. Um, obviously, Carolina's in a good spot. Um, so there's really nothing to uh, – and he, he, he's the one who scored that breakaway goal, right? I think – I think, yeah, yeah. Um, yes. So he's – Again, much much on the side of Burns. I like the way he's been playing. I mean, obviously he hasn't logged the minutes Burns has played, but there's really no downside to his game um, so far through the series, and he's got his team right where they'd like to be. So, yeah, and, and he's been awesome, and he's been under a lot of criticism the last couple years because Carolina wasn't what they were supposed to be, um, and he was a captain for a couple of those years, and he kind of he didn't you know, crumble under pressure, but he didn't perform to to the level that he was expected. But now that they've got so many good defensemen, I mean, look at this. Three defensemen have been taken. Two of them are Carolina Hurricanes. You know, they've, they've got a lot going on on the blue line, and it's all good things. I think that takes pressure yeah. off of Justin Falk so he can perform better on a nightly basis. And that's why their backup goalies are playing so well. Yeah, that. You're right. It's true. They, yeah, they've got two backup goalies that have been awesome. Good point. Um, my fifth round pick isn't even on my draft board. I'm calling an audible because I'm thinking of who I've got lined up and he hasn't been awesome in the playoffs, but he's a great player. And if he's got two guys like this on his side, there's no doubt he'd be in the con Smythe running. He does have two great players by his side already, but this would be better. Tyler Sagan. The guy oh, I love him at 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 the center position. Uh, he's been good, and he was very good last night. Um, but if, as they continue to play, he'll continue to get better. And uh, I think he's going to be bummed if Boston goes out and uh, Dallas advances because I know he wants to beat them. Uh, I want him to beat them, but he's he'd be unreal in this lineup, and he's going to continue to do great things on the ice for Dallas. So he, that's that's my fifth overall pick. Yeah, I like that pick. He was he was on my board, um, but I had somehow kind of figured you were gonna pick him. Uh, it's well, it's weird when I did this on Twitter. Yeah, when I when I did this round two draft uh, or this draft prep, I had to get in your head a little bit. I had to pretend to be you. I had to understand how you think. 
so that I could figure out how this draft was going to go. And it was, it was a scary thing. Yeah. I'll tell you what, but I did have you picking Sagan. So I was right there. I mean, it was easy for me to, to kind of do the same thing. I only put one shark on my board and no Islanders. Um, so it was really easy to make sure that we weren't going to pick the same people. <laughs> <laughs> All right. The final pick to round out your six man starting lineup. Zach Mack takes. Well, all of me wants to take Barzal after that comment, but I am going to pass on that. He is on my board, but I will take uh, Tarasenko at right wing. Um, he's turned it on lately. Uh, obviously, he had a great game before. That would have been, what, game three. Uh, I've always liked the way Tarasenko has played. Uh, I think if he's with uh, McKinnon and Couture on a line, I would have McKinnon at center and probably look uh, Couture at wing. Um I, I I don't see anyone stopping that. No, and that would be unreal. And, and Tarasenko is still kind of – he has those years where he quietly creeps up on you, and then towards the end of the year you realize he has a crazy amount of goals or, or whatever. Obviously this year was a slower year. Tarasenko has been great for the better part of a decade, so I love that pick. Uh, last for me, I'm going to finish off with the defenseman as much as I want to draft a power play lineup. Uh, I'm going to take Seth Jones, defenseman out of Columbus. I'm going to two Blue Jackets, but he's one of the best defensemen in the league. Um, Probably top four for me, and he's showing it in these playoffs. He's been unbelievable, Uh, whether it's collapsing from the blue line on offense or keeping, uh, you know, the high danger chances out of Bobrovsky's doorstep. I love Seth Jones. Um, I think the Jones family, because he's got a younger brother that's a damn good forward too. Um, and Seth has Seth has been playing awesome, and he's a big part of why Columbus is where they're at. Uh, so I'm gonna I'm gonna go with Seth Jones. Also on the list, Rupa Heinz. I mentioned him earlier. He's been awesome for the Stars, and he's gonna be a good good player for years to come. Um, rookies performing in the playoffs is always a good sign for for teams. Yeah, I was. Uh, I love that you love Seth Jones. Honestly, um, I I like Seth Jones uh, at least a little bit. I wouldn't say I love him, but I honestly thought you were going to go with John Klingberg with the pick. Um, that's where I thought you were going to be at. I wanted to, and actually Miro Haskinen also um, yeah. made me think. But honestly, I wanted to to do this with as little bias as I could, and he is the he was the best available defenseman to me behind Slavin and Burns. Um, I don't dislike your Falk pick, but I, I think Seth Jones is on a level that most defensemen, especially the ones left in the playoffs, are not, are not on. Yeah, I had a, I had some honorable mentions, Tom, Tom, Tomash Hurdle and Sebastian Ajo, uh, as well as John Klingberg, but I mentioned him. Yeah, Matt Duchesne, um, Alexander Radulov, also honorable, and Ben Bishop, obviously, um, honorable mentions. So it, it does seem like we we used a little bit of uh, the teams we're pulling for, but I mean, overall, these are two stack lineups. I don't think you can do much better other than just picking the, the three guys with the most points regardless of where they're coming from. Um, last but not least, every team needs a coach. Uh, we decide I'll pick a coach first. I'm going to go three Blue Jackets. I'm taking John Tortorella. He's been, oh. yeah, And I knew it. What did I say earlier? We'll probably have the same coach. And, and to be honest with you, I was thinking Torts, and I was like, there's no way he's picking Torts. He's, he's been great. He's, he's right up there with what Brenda Moore's done and trots up to this series. He's been great, and uh, I'm really happy for 
for him because he gets he gets picked on so much, deservedly so, but he's been awesome. So uh, your audible uh, coach pick, who are you taking? Yeah, I'm going to have to go with Barry Trotz then. Um, I, f- I figured I might have to with picking Brent Burns. I'm going to need a defensive mind if my defenseman's not going to have a defensive mind. So um, I think Barry Trotz is a good fit. That's good. Um, breaking news as we record, David Posternock just scored. It's 1-0 Bruins. That's what they needed, that top line. They it is. That. But similar to what we talked about, they just started another period hot. Let's see if they can finish it. Um, we talked about this. Crazy on my end. No, okay. We talked about the stars. Um, by the way, we're going to post both teams that we just drafted on Twitter. Uh, and we'd love to get your guys' takes and maybe you guys put together teams similar quality or do it with your friends or something like that. It's really fun. And it reminds you just how many good players we have left in the playoffs, even though the best teams you could say are out. Um, we talked about the stars uh, in blue series a while ago and something happened last night that was hilarious. Um, I don't think it's worth getting as upset as a lot of people got last night, but <laughs> Asa Lindell flopped three times in a row on three separate while they were cross checks. He flopped all three times and people were losing their minds talking about how disrespectful he is to the game. Um, he and Robert Bortuzzo, the offender, um, they both got two minutes and it's a bad look, but they were both the right penalty call. Did this, so this made me laugh more than anything. Um, I kind of equated this to, uh, this is how I was able to relate to it in grade school, high school kind of way. Um, like when you would, I don't know, maybe, maybe I'm the one, only one who ever did it, but I would walk by the classroom of like this girl I had a crush on. Right. And you're like, like if I was in study hall or if I was skipping school, whatever I was doing, I wasn't in class, but she was, and I would walk by and she'd be looking down or something or out the window. And then you'd have to play it off, like go to the drinking fountain or, or do something like you're like supposed to be in the hall and you'd swing back. You couldn't resist swing back around try and catch your eye again and i feel like this like lindell's like he's like looking over his shoulder like can he can he see it can he see it and then he tries it and he tries it again and it's just i'm just I'm, I'm so mad the exact hallway classroom and girl just popped into my head that you're talking about like i know exactly <laughs> what you mean and you're right but forgive me for being so bold to say call the fucking cross excuse call the cross check like he's flopping for a reason because he's getting buried in the back. I don't care if it's the hardest cross check or not. We're coming off me getting pretty heated about one cross check that was so important yeah. to get called right. <laughs> Call every cross check and you don't get a guy doing that. He'll feel vindicated because you called the penalty that was on the ice. Bortuzzo can get as mad as he wants. He could, in the same sense that Lindell could have gotten called for three flops, three embellishments, Bortuzzo could have gotten called for three cross checks. Neither guy benefited their team. And they both come off looking like assholes. Yeah, yeah, that's that's exactly how I saw it. I was just like, y'all, you're just like playing this little side game within the game that nobody really cares about, but you guys are having fun with it. Um, just do your thing, I guess, and eventually you, you guys are going to the box. Yeah, it was it was so dumb, and I'm I just wanted to touch on it because everyone's talking about it, and like it, people out there. No, I'm glad it's a nice it's a nice switch from the Brad Marchand. Yeah, no, it is. It's a it's a more lighthearted issue to talk about. But yeah. I will say to yeah. everyone that's calling for Lindell to get suspended for embellishment, get real, please. Like, just yeah. stop that. Where it, it was stupid, and they're, they like I said, they both come off looking like jerks. But they both got a penalty, and it is what it is. 
but it was a cross check and it was an embellishment. So there's no argument either way. And that's what was kind of silly to yeah. me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Agreed on all fronts. Um, did you want to give me like 90 seconds? Yeah, go for it. I'm ready. So this week, I've been thinking a lot about Pierre Maguire. Not in the way that Pierre thinks about Sidney Crosby, but I've been thinking about Pierre Maguire. It more in the sense that he's not going anywhere. So hopping on Twitter every time he's calling a game on NBC is exhausting. I get it. He's annoying. But we always forget that he's a wealth of hockey knowledge that we all claim to be. And all he does is prove it. Because a lot of us, and I'll include myself, we jump on Twitter, jump on, jump in the Facebook comments to show everyone how much we know. And then when we see someone showing us how much he knows, we get pissed every single week. It it does get annoying, but he's not going anywhere. He became NBC's golden egg. And guess what we're all doing? Tweeting and talking about NBC coverage. So they're going to keep doing what they're doing. And he he does a lot of wacky things. He's annoying. He can be creepy. But like I said, NBC obviously loves him and constantly complaining and yelling about him isn't going to change the NBC narrative. They want him there for what he provides. And even though it might be a disservice to you in the way you watch the game, if you're going to sit there and tell me that you don't learn something new, whether you wanted to or not, you're lying just to get out of the, the argument, which is none of your complaining, none of the whining and bitching is going to do a damn thing. He's he's a bald-headed prick that loves Sidney Crosby. I almost called him dad because that's all my dad talks about. So I really get it. And, you know, props out there to Kevin, but he's bald as well. So I get why he's annoying and I get why you guys are yelling. I just don't know how you can look at yourself and say, if I yell loud enough, one day we'll lose Pierre Maguire on the NBC broadcast because you know that's not happening and if it's the combination of Doc, Eddie, and Pierre, it, it is what it is. Pierre's, Pierre's going to talk about college and juniors. Eddie's going to talk about friggin' horses. If I hear if I hear him talk about horses again, I'm going <laughs> to lose my mind. I can't wait for the Kentucky Derby to be over throughout these playoffs. And Doc Everett's going to talk about the Pirates. They all have a shtick. Everyone's going to have a shtick. Pierre's just happens to be more annoying. We're where we're at with Pierre because he overall is good at his job. He just annoys the vast majority of you. Complaining about it, I promise you, is going to do nothing about it. That's just what was on my mind this week. No, yeah. I Obviously, I had no idea what you were going to bring up just now, and I had to mute my mind. I hit the deck laughing so hard because I, I had this thought. I honestly had this thought like, a month into the season, I think, and it, but I didn't, I didn't say it anyway. But you can't I I say it, and that's talking. why I get upset because like, you get destroyed. Just talking at a wall, yeah, and it's. But you're so right. You just gotta like you, because uh, much as you don't like, like I'll be honest, I don't like Pierre. I don't, I don't, I don't love the guy. I, I'm not, yeah, right. But I'm not gonna complain about him because it does no good. You're so right. Like it's, you just he is, and and I respect him for what he knows. Like I. I listen to what he says, I, I, and I don't dismiss everything he says like it's absolute garbage because I think he does know his stuff. I mean, I don't know how they do it at NBC, but if they just type the word Pierre into Twitter, they are happy with the results no matter what you said. Oh, yeah. Oh, so, yeah. But people don't understand how that works, and a lot of people do still think that yelling and screaming, which is what I just did, 
about certain things isn't going to ch- change the circumstance you're upset about. So, but I'm, I'm glad we're we're not totally you know disconnected on that. It does sound like you know you can appreciate the guy and not like him. Yeah, just that's how I am with Chris Osgood. I mean, but that's that's dude, a different story. That's a, that's for another podcast. But it's <laughs> I'm glad that struck a chord. <laughs> um, hey, did we miss anything? What are we What are we watching this weekend? No, yeah. What are we keeping our eye on? Yeah, yeah. You first. Okay, you first so time. Stars versus Blues game five. I think that is the ultimate game in the series. I mentioned it before. That's my number one for this weekend. Uh, number two is uh, Carolina Hurricanes completing their sweep. I think they do it. Uh, I think they do it easily. Kind of like how they won game three. And last but not least, because I'm a degenerate and an alcoholic. Not really. That's a super bad joke. Uh, but I do like a mint julep. I'm going to watch the Kentucky Derby and probably lose a little bit of money. <laughs> uh, okay, yep. I'm going to watch Kentucky Derby. I won't lose any money because I do not do that, uh, especially when it comes to horses. Listen to uh, him say, I do not do that like I'm holding a crack pipe. I'm talking about 50 bucks <laughs> on a horse race. <laughs> no, yeah. So uh, I've been known to throw money at games, but I will not bet on horses or dogs at race um, because I, I just That's I fair. don't know what I'm betting on at all. So. But yeah, I'm also watching the Islanders. If our Islanders can win game four, I think the Islanders will win game seven. That's my, uh, that's my clip that somebody clip that (laughs) we're going to put that, uh, we're going to put that on watch this week. So uh, if they win game four, they will win game seven. Okay. All right. I like that a lot. We always, you know, be bold, stand out. Um, apparently Zach's got the be wrong attached to the end of that. So I'm just kidding. Um, guys, that does bring me to my final point. We love the Twitter interaction over the past couple of weeks. This has been so much fun. Zach and I have a great time ribbing on each other. Uh, and we love doing this podcast. So keep it up. We'll keep doing all the great things that we think we're doing on the mic and through articles and on Twitter. And if you guys keep up the interaction, uh, it just drives us to do it that much more because we know you guys appreciate it and we appreciate it tenfold. Uh, Zach, you have a great weekend. Enjoy some hockey. I'm going to do the same. Belly up fans and listeners, thank you so much for listening. We will talk to you next week. Yep. Uh, and as an outgoing party, uh, Patrice Bergeron has scored a goal. So it's two nothing Boston and that's that top line. You all have a wonderful week. Yeah. Well, now I'm going to bed angry. See you, everyone. This episode of Puck Puck Pass was brought to you by Belly Up Sports and the Belly Up Sports Podcast Network. Follow your host on Twitter, Belly Up Yake, Belly Up underscore KJ, and Belly Up Zach Mack.